Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing. Before we start today, we'd like to encourage anyone looking for help with their digital marketing to get in touch with Site Visibility. Whether you have a burning digital marketing question or you're looking for an agency to work with, We'd love to hear from you. So give us a call on plus four four one two seven three seven three three four three three or fill out the form at sitevisibility.co.uk slash contact. Alternatively, you can talk to either Scott or Sean via the live chat function on the site. They'd be happy to help. Now today I'm joined by Michael King, who is the managing director at iPaulRank, and we're going to be talking about modern SEO. Michael, how are you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It is an absolute pleasure. And uh, you're calling from, is he, are you actually in Manhattan or just New York generally? Yeah, we're in Manhattan. Uh, you know, we're based right by Rockefeller Center. In fact, we are right across the street from Saks Fifth Avenue. Fantastic. So if you're ever visiting during Christmas and you need to get out of the uh, rush of tourists, feel free to drop by. You know, I was there just over a year ago. We were there, not the Christmas that's just gone, but the last Christmas. It was absolutely magical. I learned how Americans do Christmas. It was lovely. Yeah, I would say, you know, Christmas in New York is very indicative of like the pinnacle of a Christmas celebration for America. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's very over the top. The tree is huge. There's, you know, people running from store to store. Saks Fifth Avenue is a good example because they have like these huge displays. They play music every night around six o'clock. Well, I think they play it over and over. But like that's when everyone stops and really watches it, which is annoying as someone who lives here because I'm just trying to get home. (laughs) But like it is definitely a magical experience if it's like you know you're just like hey i'm here to see this so it's cool (laughs) oh how i wish this was a travel podcast but it's not it's a podcast about (laughs) uh, internet marketing so let's start off tell us tell us a little bit about yourself and i pull rank which is a wonderful name by the way i like that name i pull rank thank you Thank you. I've been running our pool rank for three and a half years. You know, before that, I worked at a series of other agencies, one of which was Razorfish, another one was Publicis. Uh, my background is in computer science, and I also have a background of being a uh, musician. And in addition to running iPool Rank, I also run two other organizations. One is uh, UndergroundHipHop.com, which is a e-commerce site that I purchased in the beginning of last year. Yeah. And we're also launching our own uh, cryptocurrency called Scratch with a K. That oh, I'm sure wow. touch on later. I'll ask you about that right at the end because that, that that sounds fascinating. But let's talk about technical SEO. Um, 
yeah, technical SEO. Do you think that technical SEO sort of on its own can achieve good SEO results? Uh, it used to be that absolutely you could do a lot of that. But as things have gotten more competitive and, and Google's gotten a lot smarter, uh, I would say no. Because unless you're in like lesser competitive spaces, you can't really do things like just spin up comic or content programmatically anymore and like rank number one for everything. Yeah, there are some situations where like you know if there aren't a lot of competitors in the space that know what they're doing, yes, you can still get away with stuff like that. But I would say the the best approach in 2018 is a combination of technical and you know fantastic content. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend going with either or without the other one. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because, I mean, we have covered this on the show, I think, quite oh, months and months ago now, and a, a fair amount of water has passed under the bridge. What sort of things should people be doing um, in 2018, some of the sort of technical SEO tools and tactics that we should be using in 2018, Michael? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily new. It's just that, you know, once... SEO kind of jumped on that content marketing train for a good five years very strongly. Uh, people just kind of forgot, like, hey, SEO is a technical sport. That is something that you should be combining with this. So, you know, the basics of just making sure that your site is accessible and, and things are structured properly. You know, you have you have a information architecture that follows uh, the keyword strategy that makes sense. Mm. But beyond that, you need to be thinking about like, how are we going to optimize this content? So there's a variety of different ways that people are thinking about this at this point. A lot of folks are using TFIDF, which we tend to use pretty heavily these days. And the folks at write previously known as onpage.org, they have a fantastic tool for it called content success. So we, we get a lot of mileage out of that. You know, there's a lot of opportunity around the technical bits in that, you know, there there have been far more things that have changed on the technical side of web development that SEO really needs to be accounting for, you know, whether that's things like uh, progressive web apps or if it's things like pre-render and so on and so forth. Mm. You need to definitely be aware of these new opportunities. And then there's a lot of opportunities regarding um Page speed that I think are incredibly important at this point as well. Yeah. So doing things like, you know, rel pre-connect, rel pre-render, um, using rel preload and such. So you can essentially create a faster experience for all user agents, not just, you know, the user themselves, but also Googlebot. And one of the things I like to always say is that you need to think of Googlebot as like your last persona. Um, you know, so we're not just thinking about how do we build for organic search, but we need to be thinking of user contacts. And one of those user contacts is Googlebot. Yeah. So I would say that, that that's kind of a, a general synopsis of, of what we're thinking here. But, you know, there's far more detail we can talk about, about like how you want to approach keyword research and yes. things of that nature at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think keyword research People have been looking to hack keyword research for a long time. And, and at this point, it doesn't really make sense to do it that way because Google has been thinking more about, like, how do we apply this to very specific user context? Mm. And so personalization is definitely going to continue to come into play and create this concept of these filter bubbles. And so really to penetrate these filter bubbles, you need to be thinking about, you know, very segmented content strategies based on these different audiences and then aligning it with a collection of keywords. And then that way you can make sure you're getting your content in front of the right people. But as far as the thing that you really want to keep in mind at this point is that Google has kind of obfuscated the 
uh, search volumes at this point where you're only getting the ranges. And, and for my purposes, you know, ranges don't really help me when it says like, oh, it could be 40 searches to 4 million. Like, what do you even do with that? Right. Am I supposed <laughs> to average it? Do I pick the lower bound, the higher bound? Like, I don't know what you, you want me to do with that. So I tend to use the tools that still give me whole number of search volumes. So like SEM Rush, it's very useful there. Grep Words. Keyword tool IO, all of them are going to give you those whole number search volumes so that you can, you know, really put the idea of what that opportunity is in front of your client so you can get that buy in. Mm. So, just focusing on, can we just talk about JavaScript? Because it's um, it's quite a hotly debated topic, I think, for SEO. So, if there are listeners out there that have got websites um, using JavaScript or maybe they're about to start using it on a new site, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a hot topic. And in fact, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but I've, I've been talking about that since like 2011. Yeah. I wrote a blog post uh, for Moz called Just How Smart Are Search Robots. And I talked about the idea of headless browsing and how uh, all the search engines have had the capability as early as 2006. It's just something that is, you know, so computationally expensive that we had to get to the point where we're at right now in computing that they could roll it out at scale. But the big point here is that, you know, the issue is is essentially an accessibility issue in that, you know, the way that a lot of these frameworks load with these single page applications is they just load the um, the template and then as the user uh, does those different interactions, it's it's updating the template based on uh, different data that it's pulling from a variety of endpoints using yeah. that JavaScript. So the whole point is that what a standard crawler, the crawlers that most SEO tools are still using to this day, is going to do, it's going to show you the same stuff that you see when you do like a view source on a given page. Whereas what search engines are actually looking at at this point is the uh, inspect element version of the page. And so we need to be really looking at the difference between those two things because search engines don't always render every single page that way because, again, like I said, it's very computationally expensive. But furthermore, it's really important that anything that requires a user action, so let's say, for instance, you have tabs on your page, and when you click that tab, that causes a request to the server to get that data to then populate the content, that stuff will never be seen by a search engine. So ultimately what you need to understand is the difference between what I'm calling that, that uh, let's say uncompiled version, that yeah. view source version of your page and the actual uh, computed DOM version of that page. And so those differences are the things that that Google may never see. And you want to think about what are the best ways to showcase that content such that they can index it and then you can rank for it. Yeah. And Google's always been a proponent of this concept of progressive enhancement, which effectively means that all content is loaded uh, so they can you know, index it and understand it. And then based on the user agent or the client that the, the user is looking at the page with, mm. those enhancements are shown if they have that capability. So it's not an easy thing to do because you need to be thinking of it from the ground up of a website. But the reality of it is so much of the web is so driven by JavaScript and the different JavaScript frameworks, whether it's React or Meteor or Angular or what have you, you definitely need to account for that in yeah. the modern web. Now, featured snippets, they're quite a, well, a relatively new feature within search results. Uh, do you have any tips for our audience on how to go about uh, getting featured snippets? 
Yeah, feature snippets, I mean, to some degree, they're a moving target because Google is still actively making a lot of changes, especially when, you know, there's been some happy accidents later, lately. So the latest one I know about is LeVar, LeVar Ball, who is this like very loud mouth character, who is the father of a series of different basketball players, one of which is in the NBA. Another one actually used to play for UCLA, but then they were on a trip in China and... Um, they got arrested for shoplifting and it was this big international scandal and uh that orange guy that sits in the white house got involved (laughs) it was crazy right so what had happened was if you if you search for nba founder or who was the nba founder this guy came up number one Mm. or not even just number one in the featured snippet rather um and so you know google is definitely actively still trying to figure out the best way to get these and even if you do get them it's very likely that you may lose them but generally speaking the best practice to snatch these up is one review the query space so you know look at some of the queries that are triggering feature snippets in your space and just look at what type of content these people have on their pages so if it's a table well of course you can expect there to be an actual table on the pages that are ranking for them and so what you'll want to do is then you know just make a better version of this where you have whatever that question is in a header tag that is very close to the actual uh, answer to that question. So the interesting thing about um, feature snippets is one, you you can get them right away in that, you know, it's like the only thing I've seen in a long time for SEO that gives you instant gratification because what, what can happen is like, once you make these adjustments and then you do a fetch and render in uh, search console, if you've done it in such a way that Google feels it's a better answer, they will adjust that answer in a series of, of hours hmm. rather than needing to wait like a month to see what happens. And so, uh, you know, just making sure one, you're monitoring it with a tool that does it. And stat is a fantastic uh, rankings platform that's all over the featured snippet stuff. In fact, they've done a lot of great research that have helped the industry understand what's going on there. But the other thing is that you don't necessarily have to be number one in order to get those featured snippets. We've seen as deep as position 71 trigger those featured snippets. So it's not necessarily governed by the same stuff that regular organic search results are. And there's a lot of opportunity just by adjusting your on page for you to get those uh, spots. Now, I know one of the um, toughest questions for SEOs to answer is sort of what's expected so what's the expected traffic from an SEO campaign? What are your thoughts and perhaps some tips on when it comes to forecasting SEO? Yeah, forecasting is kind of BS like for SEO. I think we everyone knows that and anyone that does it is kind of just doing it because they're forced to by their client or by the people upstairs because yeah. in every other marketing channel, you can do some sort of business case that's more or less like a one-to-one. Like if we do this, there will be an effect that is Y. So X equals Y or X becomes Y because of the expectation of performance and what have you. And you can certainly attempt that like mathematically, you can do the same thing with Google or excuse me with, with SEO, but uh, if you're going to do that, what you should be doing is using your own data from Google Search Console rather than using some sort of anecdotal uh, CTR model that you found on some random blog post, mm. because that's not going to reflect reality at all. So get the data from Search Console on your CTR and then use that. Have a different set of CTR for branded queries versus non-branded queries. And in fact, you might even want to look at that on a keyword category level because you can you should expect to see different click-through rates at different 
different positions for different categories. Like people are in different need states with different searches. So you want to account for that variance as much as you can. But ultimately what it comes down to is, you know, search volume multiplied by CTR multiplied by average order value to ultimately get an understanding of what dollar amount should we expect by changing positions uh, a certain amount. But I think what's even more important is thinking about how can you measure the impact after it happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been working with a series of, of great clients and working through a series of different models, statistical models using, you know, different packages that have come from uh, both Google and Facebook for determining what's called like causal impact. Yeah. So, you know, some of the clients we've been working with have been very intent on doing these A-B tests where they're doing these studies that say, okay, let's do, you know, um, double control versus the variant in bucketing these pages and then seeing, you know, what the what the uh, variant ultimately yielded versus those controls. So, because one of the things that we run into with SEO is that, you know, a lot of things can happen beyond whatever you did in just SEO itself uh, that ultimately do impact organic search. So being able to show, you know, I don't want to say definitively, but more realistically, like, you know, we made this change and there was a direct impact from that change on organic search traffic and effectively on conversions and so on. So I think using that type of model gives you something that's more measurable in the future when you're putting together your forecast than just doing the kind of anecdotal models that we just talked about before. Now, we've covered a a lot of stuff here, Michael. Thanks so much for coming on. If there was one sort of uh, top tip or takeaway for our audience, what would it be? Yeah, I would say that log file analysis is so important and it kind of, you know, went out of style a few years back because, again, we got so uh, caught up in the content marketing side of things. And realistically, you know, where we're at, especially with so much like uh, JavaScript framework uh, stuff being built into the web at this point, we really, really, really need to understand what Google is crawling, what they're seeing, and then how does that compare with what we're seeing from these front-end crawls that we're doing. Mm. And in most cases, you know, a lot of SEOs are just doing their front-end crawls, whether it's with, you know, Screaming Frog or any other tool out there, and they're not combining it with what you're seeing in the, in the log files, so it doesn't represent what Google is seeing. Yeah. And so they're from my perspective, you know, the best tool out there for any of this stuff right now is Botify. Like they are leaps and bounds beyond any other tool that I've seen and being able to combine those two data sets and giving you, you know, super actionable data to get out of it. And, you know, they don't pay me like this is just me saying that because uh, I've used pretty much every tool and that's the one that I'm, I'm really excited about right now. And so, yeah, log file analysis, whether you do it, you know, with Excel or you're doing it with a combination of Screaming Frog SEO Spider and their log file analyzer, Mm -hmm. you just need to be doing it because otherwise you don't have a good enough understanding of what Google is looking at and you can't truly prioritize the opportunities unless you understand what they're crawling on a regular basis and what they're not. Yeah. I think it's tremendously overlooked, isn't it? The power of logging and logs yeah, I mean, I think, you know, once we got Clickstream Analytics, everyone stopped looking at, looking at that. And, you know, I've been making websites and working on the web since like 95 when all we had was log files. And like, you know, it, it's just been something that there's been such a step away from it because there aren't 
there aren't easy tools or a lot of easy tools for really digging into log file yeah. analysis yeah. in the same way that analytics is. You know, we, we can set up GA in five seconds and get all the data you want on everything else. But anything log file related is going to be such an undertaking to, to make happen. Yeah. Right now, Michael, before we go, you've got to tell us about this cryptocurrency you've been working on. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're building something called Scratch and uh, the tagline that we came up with is we're helping people buy and sell where conversations happen. So what it is, is first it's a, a token, so it's a cryptocurrency, but it's also a, um, a distributed marketplace that essentially will plug into any website. We're focusing first on music websites, so through, you know, music social platforms and message boards and such. And let's say, you know, Andy, let's say you're selling a piece of vinyl and I don't know you but i want to purchase that vinyl from you yeah. well normally the next step would be oh you just go to paypal and i send you the money and i hope that you send it to me yeah but our, our platform is going to be governed by smart contracts of course and so you know we agree to that transaction and then there's a series of verification steps whether it's like you taking a picture of that vinyl and then i take a picture on my end to double check that i got what i expected and then also we could use like the tracking codes so plugging into the apis there using those oracles to basically you know say okay this was delivered based on the data we got from this source and there's a series of different uh, verification steps but the bottom line is that users will be able to use this visual smart contract builder that we have and they can um enter into these contracts with each other yeah. and then that money acts as that escrow and then once the things are actually delivered whether it's digitally or physically you know then that money is released to that user uh, to that seller rather. And so the reason why it's a, a very valuable thing to, you know, the types of sites that we would look to plug into is that they get a commission as well. And that becomes another revenue source. Yeah. And in an ideal world, you know, this would be able to support site, sites in such a way that we can have less terrible display advertising and more, uh, you know, higher spend media, uh, uh, display advertising that is actually more, you know, useful to the actual users that are using that website. That's really clever. So effectively, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, are you using the blockchain to uh, facilitate smart contracts, but also sort of like a currency exchange, effectively? Not, the, not a currency exchange. Exactly. Better, better way of phrasing that. So sort of the sort of uh, very fine transactions of uh, value, I suppose. That's a better way of putting it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's a way to basically just have very secure transactions and, you know, allow there to to be the, the friction of these types of transactions would also be cut down tremendously because it doesn't require users to leave the site they're on to create those transactions. Everything can be done where they're already having those conversations. That's fantastic. And this is available now, Michael, or is it sort of coming up? So um, we're we're right now in the pre-sale phase of the ICO. And if you just go to scratchcoin.com, that's scratch with a K, coin.com. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can you can find out more information on you know potentially getting involved with what we're doing and everything that as far as like updates and when things roll out will be there. We also have a Slack channel that people can join as well. So yeah, it's it's probably the thing I'm most excited about that we as a team are working on here um, right now. That's fantastic. So if you send me the link, I will get that put in the show notes for you, Michael. Cool. Sounds good. So finally, uh, tell us how our listeners can find out more about you and iPull Rank. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at iPoolRank.com. I'm iPoolRank on Twitter. Uh, we've also got a Facebook page. I'm pretty easy to find. And, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to folks about pretty much anything. So feel free to reach out. Michael King, thank you very much indeed. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Show notes are in the usual place, sitevisibility.com slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, uh, please leave us a review so that we know how we're doing. We're always open to questions and suggestions. The email is podcast at sitevisibility.com. You can tweet us at sitevisibility. We also have a LinkedIn site visibility group. Uh, that's all from me, Andy, and it's all from Michael. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolute pleasure, Michael. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 